This is Mental Radio, where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. I'm your host, Jesse Zookman. The song you just heard is My Mind Ain't Right by our guest today, Nikki Lynette. Nikki is a rapper, a songwriter, an actor, and now a playwright with her new musical, Get Out Alive, which is coming out at the Steppenwolf Festival in Chicago this winter. And Nikki just happens to be one of my favorite people on Twitter, posting deep, insightful wisdoms about emotions, relationships, and recovery from mental illness. So when I saw she was working on a new project, I just had to get her on the pod to talk about her journey and how she is expressing that in this new piece of work. So thrilled to have her on. Um, Just a quick reminder, as always, don't make any changes to your treatment plan based on anything on the podcast. I'm not a doctor. Nikki's not a doctor. We talk about what works for us. We talk about our own journeys. That doesn't mean what we do and what works for us is going to work for you. You got to talk to your licensed healthcare professional, whoever that is for you. My conversation with Nikki does include some descriptions of self-harm and domestic violence. We don't dwell on it. We don't dig into it. It's not overtly explicit. But if those themes are of concern um, for you uh, to listen to, you may want to wait until we get show notes up with time code and um, more appropriate content warnings. We're not there yet. If it's something you would like to volunteer and help us with, please let me know on Twitter um, at Zookman. We're going to get there. We're just not quite there. We are putting the wheels on the car as it's flying 70 miles an hour down the highway. But uh, this is something we have in mind. We're going to get there soon. If you find the conversation valuable and you're interested in supporting our work, please consider sharing this podcast or making a tax-deductible contribution over at mentalhealthmedia.org, where you can find all of our podcasts, all of our articles. You can sign up for our mailing list, find us on all of the socials, and just find out everything that we are doing over at Mental Health Media. With that said, I bring you Nikki Lynette. Hi, Nikki. How are you? Uh, welcome to Mental Radio. I'm good. Thanks for having me. For everyone listening who might be new to your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a singer, rapper, writer, and producer, and a playwright, and uh, make my living with my play. I license my music to TV and film, and I'm also a suicide survivor who's living with PTSD and an anxiety disorder. And I use my experiences with mental health to advocate for um, mental health awareness within, specifically within underrepresented demographics within the mental health conversation. And so, you know, my advocacy informs all of my work. It's what my play is about. It's what my music is about. It's what my paintings are about. And uh, that, you know, after my mental breakdown, that people did not recommend that I talk about it, but I kind of feel like I did it for my own survival. And I'm glad I did because it ended up being one of the most impactful things in my life. For sure. So tell me, tell us a little bit more about that. Who's being left out of the mental health conversation? You know, when we have, when we talk about mental health, a little bit more so before the past couple of years, like you have to remember, like when I had my mental breakdown, it was between 2015 and 2017. And there was less visibility as it pertains to different people being a part of this conversation. And so you weren't seeing, 
you know, it's like when you think of mental health, like like me and you were joking around and I was like, man, this mental awareness, mental health stuff is not as minty fresh as Gwyneth Paltrow mm. said it was. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> like when you think about it, you think of like very well kept and high society people mm-hmm. who lay on a on a couch and talk about their troubles and do you know you got to be able to afford some really good insurance mm-hmm. to just be able to just go to a therapist often and and lay your troubles down so the people like poor people people of color from all walks of life whose culture looks down on people who have mental health issues um gay people women because our feelings are so often invalidated oh you're just pms and oh she's so emotional like these are the people who when we have conversation about mental health we aren't necessarily thinking about the specific issues that affect them individually and the reality is that different underrepresented demographics have different types of mental health issues they have different types of mental health concerns and i didn't know that until I had to be hospitalized after a suicide attempt. And I realized that, you know, like I'd always thought like, man, like, you know, white people, when it comes to mental health, like people listen to them and they get therapy. And it's not, it's not that that's not true because there is more acceptance of therapy and stuff like that within white communities, but not like white poor people, mm-hmm. not white people who are highly religious. So and I didn't know that until I had to go into the hospital and realize, damn, like these are people that experience the same thing as me, even though we're from different backgrounds, even though it's caused by different things. And so when I say underrepresented demographics, I specifically mean the people whose specific needs within the conversation are not part of the popular commercial trend of conversation around the subject. For sure. I mean, we are just so so in this like infantile stage i feel like around mental health where i mean that's what people know they know the therapy couch from you know tv they know meds and that's really the long and the short of it and like that's why i wanted to do this project is because everyone i talk to you know has stories like yours stories like mine where you know we had to really figure out what worked for us And it's a journey that's like tailored. Our healing journeys are not just what you see on TV. We don't even see what it looks like. You know, we don't, on TV, we don't even see, we don't, I've never seen someone that looked like me at my worst where I was, you know, so depressed. I was drooling and like hitting my head against the wall. Like we don't see that even now. Mm -mm. You know, it's, Mm -mm. no, we don't. You know, and then even on social media, it's like, People share only so much. There's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of reality to it. I think too, like when we think of mental health, right? Like when we talk about what it looks like online, the part of it that we actually see, we think that we don't realize that mental health issues is also functional depression. It's also people unable to get out of bed, but they're posting from you know online like everything's fine, mm-hmm. or people that are unable to shower because the reality of doing self-care when you don't love yourself just completely goes away. Mm -hmm. Like we don't really know what mental health issues look like. And when we see it, we call it other things. We might call it poor grooming. We might call it laziness. We might call it lack of motivation. We might call it anger issues. 
And it's not that, and so it's such a fine line too, because it's not that people should just be like condoning behavior from others that they care about that they consider to be problematic, but they do need to understand where that behavior stems from so that they can make their decisions about how they want to interact or if they want to interact from a place of being informed. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us a little bit about, you know, how did you, this journey start for you? So, uh, man, I was in an abusive relationship and, you know, it was, it started out being abusive psychologically and it ended the day he beat Mm -hmm. me up. And, uh, you know, it started with him cheating while I was pregnant. And I remember finding out because I found out while I was like visibly pregnant and they were like, you know, it like it culminated in this, these women showing up to the house. One of them tried to fight me like, and I'm pregnant and I had given up, you know, put my career on hold to have a baby by a person who did this. And I remember feeling something in my brain go like thump. And I don't know what the thump was. I've been waiting for for it to snap back ever since it happened, but it, it hasn't. And uh, I just remember breaking everything in sight. And I don't remember, I don't remember doing it. I just remember the aftermath of it and then being scared. Cause it's like, when did I do that? I'm standing, I'm bleeding. I'm, you know, like it was terrible. And so just from there and over the next couple of years, you know, cheating is a form of abuse. The silent treatment and ghosting is abuse. Stonewalling is a form of abuse. And, and when it's done intentionally, when it's done over an extended, extended period of time. And I didn't know. And you know, uh, I'm not even sure if he knew, but I try not to think too much about his position in it anymore. But what happened was uh, I had to, I, I, I attempted to end my life and he didn't take me to the hospital. I probably demanded not to go, but he really should have taken me. And, you know, I just got worse. So over the next couple of years, uh, I got terrible. My mom got sick. I I lost my baby and completely lost just all connection with reality. And when I started being, when I, one day I was home in Chicago alone and realized that I was finally alone so I could do it. And I was excited about it and I started making plans. And then I, I, I realized, no, this isn't, you know, good. And I called a uh, guy named Ira Antelis, who's kind of like, you know, like we call him my Jewish dad. And I told him what was going on. And he was out of town. He demanded that I go to the hospital. I didn't want to call an ambulance. So he called me mm-hmm. a cab. And I took a cab to the hospital. And, you know, it was either I put myself in the hospital or he was going to mm-hmm. do it. So, you know, I figured I'd be able to get out quicker if I put myself in there. No, that's not true either. So, yeah, just went into the hospital, realized I'm not crazy. I just have post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm not crazy. I just have anxiety. And, you know, initially I had tried meds and I feel like the meds are what made me nuts. It's what made me attempt suicide because what happened is my genuine, my uh, primary care doctor, she prescribed me Effexor. Effexor is for people who have depression. It's not for people who have depression with anxiety because it has a stimulant in it. Mm-hmm. And so if think about being taking a stimulant while you're already anxious, but it's a depression med, so you feel nothing. Mm-hmm. 
that's what happened to me. Like, and that was the state I was in when I made my attempt. So uh, after getting out of the hospital, it took, I was on meds for about a year and that helped me get through, you know, my mom passing away. And it was like this period of everything going, like I lost everything. I had given up my career to have this baby and lost the baby. I'm in this relationship that meant so much to me. And then I lose my child's father and then my mom dies, my cat dies, my apartment floods, I lose all of my art. Like it was like life was really trying to chase me about mm-hmm. this bitch. But uh, you know, I hung in there, I fought back, I tried diet and lifestyle and gave it a real serious chance. And that was doing the baby steps that it took to control my mental wellness with my diet and my lifestyle is what saved mm-hmm. me. Because now I'm not on meds. I haven't been on my meds in almost a year and a half. And I have not been back to the psychiatric hospital or like the ER in almost two years. Haven't made any attempts in almost two years. And I, you know, I still get depressive episodes. I still get triggered because I still have PTSD. But I don't think I'm always going to have PTSD Mm -hmm. because I can tell that it's getting better. And so I think like a lot of times we be hoping this stuff just get better immediately or just goes away. And that ain't what Mm -hmm. this is. Depression is chemical. Anxiety is chemical. All of it is hormones. All of it is chemical. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we have to be okay with that and allow our body to learn to make new chemicals, to learn to make new hormones. And once we do that, we can see some significant change. And so that's where I'm at right now. I became a mental health advocate, not just to spread awareness, but because I did it for my survival, because if I can't talk about the life I'm actually living, then I, what the, what am I going to talk about? Like I'm a rapper. I'm, we talk about our life mm-hmm. and I ain't, I ain't from the streets or nothing like that. Like I'm from the hood, but I ain't from the streets. My mama kept me mm-hmm. off. Of me. So, you know, if I'm talking about my life, my life before I had a mental breakdown, I was talking about my money and my attitude and these dudes and you know what I'm saying? But after my mental breakdown, none of that shit mattered anymore. And so the only way I could return to my music and my art was to talk about my real experiences. And so here I am talking about this and it's been very impactful and I'm very proud. As you should be, as you should, as we all should be. Um, it's amazing just how many things that you said there resonated it's just it's so similar to my own story um you know and the you know i i had a flood too i had several near-death abusive encounters um long stays of not sleeping not taking care of myself yada yada and not to compare or, or to say the experiences are the same but there's just there's so many oddly specific things that you said that are a lot more Oof. similar to what I experienced than, than it is different. Yeah. The thing, I'm just present, the thing I'm just present to is like, that's what it took for us to get knocked down. That's how strong we are is that it took all of that. It took all of, I mean, and you still survived it. That's how strong you are. You know? I don't th- yeah. And it's so hard for depressed people or people who are struggling to really acknowledge their strength. And so people hit me up when they're in crisis all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to point out to them, like, do you understand the presence of mind 
it took for you to just reach out to somebody because you want things to be different, that you want things to be better? Do you understand that there are people who can't do that at all yet? Like, be be conscientious of where you're at. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a really big step. Sure. You're in, And what I always tell people, and I'm not a mental health professional, so I tell people, like, you know, my, my main thing I tell people is that, like, I... I can't necessarily help you while you're still in crisis. I can just help point you in the direction of people that can help you because I'm not a mental health professional. But when you on the other side of your recovery and you rebuilding your mm-hmm. life and reclaiming your empowerment, baby, I got you. You know what I'm saying? Like then I can like I'll be like the best ally and advocate once you get you some mental health support from a professional. But what I try to tell people is um in my personal belief is that when you are suicidal, that is an extremely powerful place to be in because you are so committed to your lack of suffering and your desire to no longer suffer that you're willing to kill yourself. That's huge. Now, since you are so committed to ending your suffering, let's table this suicide idea, right? It's always an option. And keep in mind, this is what I told myself. This is what I said to myself. I said, Let's table this suicide idea. Like, there's no expiration on when I can kill myself, right? So let's say that option always in my back pocket. And then I'm just going to try going for a walk every day. And I'm going to try changing my gut microflora and seeing if I can, you know, affect change in my body by changing my gut. Because you have hundreds of millions of neurons in the gut. And I'm going to just try getting rid of these toxic people that I think I need in my life. And... You know, I'm going to try to get back out there and do my music and have a career. And if I don't see any positive change, this suicide option is always in my back pocket. You know what I'm saying? And that, it it sounds like bleak, but that is how I became no longer suicidal. Mm -hmm. But the, the thing is that we need people like you to show that it's possible on the other side. I mean, when I got sick, I couldn't find patient recovery stories of people with bipolar who had been through anything similar to what I went through. Right. So, you know, it was like, okay, my, it's in my logic was, okay, I'm going to try meds. I'm going to try therapy. And when that didn't work for a little while, I was like, okay, it's hopeless, I guess, because I didn't have this podcast. I didn't have your Twitter saying, look, this can really make a dent. You know, if it's not a hundred percent, it's 50%, it's 60%. Even if it's 40%, if someone could tell me, you know, uh, 10 years ago, look, if you do all of these things, um, there's a, there's a very good chance 40, you're going to be suffering 40% less. And it it actually ended up being probably 98% less. Right. But if someone could have just told me you can knock this down by half just by taking care of yourself. And that's real. Thanks, Basho. Um, and that's real. I would have been so much safer. So I just, I I applaud you for sharing it. We need to speak up because this is the big part of mental health education that is really lacking. It's really lacking and it's really a shame. It's, it's not just smashing, smashing stigma. That's important. It's people like you saying, this is how I live now. And recovery really is possible. Suicide is, and suicide is not the only option and therapy and meds are also not the, there's this whole other dimension that people don't know about. So I Thank think you so that much doctors are not it. doing what they need to do. And I, I don't, please do not take this as a knock to the medical community because I would not have made it without intervention from a mental health professional. 100% believe in them. I just think that 
You need to be able to have really good insurance to afford afford the really good therapists that are going to tell you, and you know, your wellness is also going to impact your, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that ain't what my Mm -hmm. therapist told me. I had to go find that out for myself. And I'm sure that she did her best, but like, I think that the other half of therapy is self-care. And part of the reason why those periods between therapy sessions feel so long is because it feels like we ain't doing nothing. Like, you know, you have, like, if you don't have the best insurance, because I was poor, 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 poor Mm -hmm. at the time when my mental health breakdown, I hadn't been working in a long time. I was in, you know, I was in a codependent relationship with with an abusive narcissist. So he had me financially dependent. And I had to go from that and and then go get like state and like health insurance from the state to be able to get the help that I needed to get my mental wellness taken care of. And thank goodness I was able to get it. But I was only able to see a therapist after after there was inpatient therapy and there was outpatient therapy. And then after my outpatient therapy, when I left the uh, hospital, then just regular therapy was only two times a week and it wasn't enough. And I felt like. Like I just had to hold on until my next therapy session. I didn't really. And that was when I started doing research on like, okay, well, how do I keep this going to save my life in the meantime? And that was when I realized the other half of therapy is lifestyle. It's diet and lifestyle. And through diet and lifestyle, I was eventually able to get off my meds. And I needed to get off my meds because I personally, like I've never drank or smoked. I'm completely straight edge. And so the impact that my meds had on me, I really didn't like the way I felt. It was un it was not similar to anything that I ever felt. Would I take meds again in the future if I need them? Hell yeah, the fuck I look like. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to take that shit if I need it. Like, I'm not anti-meds. I just didn't want to. I got to a point where I no longer need them. And I'm able to manage myself without them so I don't have to deal with the side effects. And, you know, I've I've gotten some blowback from the whole, you know, people who are really into diet and lifestyle as being the only way that you can control your mental health issues or whatever. But the reality is I'm not, I don't have, like, there's really no room for politics when it comes to saving somebody's life, I'm mm-hmm. I'm in favor of what works. So I think that we need to have a different approach to mental wellness. Like we don't really talk about mental hygiene. We don't talk about the impact of diet. We don't talk about the impact of sleep. We don't talk about the significance of getting rid of toxic people. And we do not talk about like neuroanatomy. We don't talk about the biology of of the hormones that create the emotions you feel. We don't talk about the fact that it takes dopamine and, and oxytocin and adrenaline. Like we don't talk about the way that these different hormones are actually the chemicals that make our emotions. So that when we start feeling too much of this emotion or too much of that emotion, maybe it should actually be treated as a chemical imbalance. So like I couldn't afford a nutritionist at the time when I had my mental breakdown and was just getting back to life on my own. And, you know, my mom had died. I had no money. So I started doing research and I realized that hormones are a big part of what we feel. And so I was like, okay, well, if hormones are just chemicals, then if I change the chemicals in my body, then that should impact the way I feel, right? So like the number one disruptor or impactor of hormones in the body is like sugar, right? And so I gave up sugar and I absolutely felt the difference. And that's not to say that I gave it up forever. No, I gave it up until I felt a lot better. 
I also started using uh, CBD that contained no THC, and that helped me get my anxiety under control. So if we can actually start having, and so that's part of what I do. Like when I talk, my advocacy is really just about representation and talking about my experiences and what works for me. And so I'm open about it and I tell people what works for me. And then sometimes people try it for themselves and it works for them. And there's mm-hmm. really no perfect formula to it. Like there's no perfect, like there's no, what works for me might not work for you. I'm, I'm vegan. I don't, I'm straight edge. I'm a short black girl. My needs dietarily and nutritionally are going to be different from yours. But I do think that all of us can kind of do the work to find out what works for us when we're having these issues and combat it more than just one way. And if you're doing your part at home, it's going to help your therapist a whole lot to be able to help you, you know, recover and be in a better place as quickly as possible. For sure. And like, and that's such an empowering message, right? And unfortunately on the internet, that's not always the you know most popular tweets is that, you know, you can affect your own health. You, there, mm. you have a, you know, you, you know, the message of, you have a say in how your life goes isn't always the thing that's going to go most viral. Don't people get so, mad at you? <laughs> for saying that we, for, for, for just saying that stuff uh, sometimes. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, have you ever I, had people like get in your, get, get, get on your ass about it? Of course, but I, I've been there. So like, I, I have a way of talking to folks who are mad because I get it. Like I've been mad at people who have said, diet could make a difference. I mean, I w- I thought I was just so messed up that I thought, you know, there's no way diet can can affect me. But, you know, and that that thought kept me a lot sicker for a lot longer. Yep. Um so I just say that and it's like, look, this is what helps me and you know, the universal is that we all have things that help uh, that can help ourselves and we all have to figure out what that is with on our own terms right that's the universal nobody's plan is universal you know if you need some low dose of something eventually maybe not whatever it is the stuff you, your diet is going to affect how you feel you know your yep. neurotransmitters are made up from protein your everything you are what you eat it's real and, you know, and we all think, oh, you know, I know we can go get more neurotransmitters at the, the Walgreens or the CVS, but we don't even, it's not in the mental health conversation of, you know, we can eat protein to get a lot of those same chemicals. And that's not to say that's going to work for every single person, 100% all of the time, but for most people, it's going to make a big difference. Or it, We it do can. not talk enough about how many neurons are in the gut and how the gut is literally the second brain. And so if you're eating like bullshit, it's not going to have a positive impact on your mental health. And when I talk Mm -hmm. about that kind of stuff, I have, see my whole thing, right. Is that like, I, I have joy in my life. Like, yeah, I have trauma and yeah, you know, I have depression. I have anxiety, but I'm a happy person with trauma, depression and anxiety. And so when I do my content, like my videos about mental health that I used to get published on um, Afropunk, I'm actually about to have them on another really big platform. Can't tell you yet, but it's a very big oh, deal. Nice. And when I'm able to tell you, I will. But like yeah. when I used to do my videos, I get people coming to me. You're saying that now, but you're very happy and you don't have mental health issues like I have mental health issues. And and I had to say, yeah, well, I was found unconscious because I killed myself after losing my child. And you know what I'm saying? like then when I start unpacking what I've been through 
and the issues that I lived with. Like, I don't just have self-diagnosed depression. Mm -hmm. I have post-traumatic stress disorder. I have an anxiety disorder. Like, there were periods of time I physically was unable to get out of bed. There were periods of time I couldn't listen to affirmation, uh, like affirmation recordings, because my brain, my subconscious mind would turn it into self-harm motivation. Like, I really, really went through it. And so I feel like the fact that I am happy and I speak from a place of joy can be off-putting for some people who are still very much in the belief that they have no power and that they're gonna feel this way forever. And it doesn't distract, it doesn't deter me. I feel like I have to stay this way, right? Like I, I can't get mad at them because there was a point when I felt like my story wasn't gonna be understood by anybody and I wanted to be able to see myself in the story of others. And I think that it's possible that a person who's very, very depressed cannot see their self in my story until I talk about the ugly part of it. And so, I try to have a balance of talking about the ugly and explaining that I understand the ugly while also explaining that mental health exists on a spectrum. So being suicidal and being completely well and totally great, like those aren't the only extremes, right? I'm, I'm a little bit closer to the great right now. There are days when I'm a little bit closer to the not so great. But my baseline for me is joy no matter what. And it's a choice that I had to make, but I also had to be at that place in my recovery. And we be thinking that like recovery is like, oh, well, no longer suicidal, I'm recovered. No, I was still very much depressed after I was recovered. Like I was still very much depressed after I was no longer suicidal. And so the work then is to understand that if, re if recovery is a process, then you have to get to the point where you can manage your mental health with diet and lifestyle. You have to get to the point where you no longer need to see your therapist two or three times a week, maybe two once a month or two times a month is enough. You have to get there. And so what I always tell people is just take baby steps, right? Because baby steps mm -hmm. is what did it for me. Like the baby step process, I literally pulled, I remember the day, man. I remember the day I pulled myself out of bed and I said, okay, Going for a walk is not the same as going to the gym, but it's all that I can do. So baby steps. And then I started talking myself through it. Like, okay, well, you know, taking a whole bath ain't the same as being able to take a shower, but it's all I have the energy to do. Baby steps. Okay, well, you know, drinking a smoothie ain't the same as eating a whole meal, but it's the most I can do. Baby steps. And now here I am. Beautiful. I, yeah. And I think I'm a success story. I wrote a play about depression. I was the first black female artist to have the development of my play funded by American Music Theater Project. My first theater run is about to be a Steppenwolf. I have a show at House of Blues at the Foundation Room next next week, and it sold out a week before the event. Like I, saw I had, it. yeah, congratulations. Thank you so much. I got a mental health documentary. I'm doing out of pocket. Like I did all of this, and I'm a person. Like if you would have told me, baby, if you would have told me just a couple years ago that I would be here saying this, man, no, I <laughs> no, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have thought that you were blowing smoke up my ass to like another one of those people saying nice things to get me to not want to die. But here. I'm getting teary. Aww. I mean, the same thing for me, you know, like 
I probably shouldn't be here. And if somebody said the same thing, so I can only have empathy for people who are saying it's too hard. That can't work. You know, just the naysayers just being angry at, you know, these messages of empowerment. But all we can do is just keep showing up and just reminding people because when they have a gap and you have a good day, there's some things you can do. And maybe you can listen and hear just a little bit about you can go for that walk. You can have, you know, a protein packed, healthy meal full of antioxidants. And, you know, it might not make you feel better right now, but, you know, the next morning you might go, you know what, I think my head feels a little clearer. Maybe you can take those small little steps that when you're at your worst, you can't. But when there's that opening, we're going to be here with ideas for how you might have a better chance of feeling better tomorrow. And, you know, that's what we can do. And we didn't have these people. We didn't have these voices. Nope. These projects, even just five years ago, they weren't really around. Even just two years ago. When I started my series on Afropunk talking about mental health, Mm -hmm. there was no other cool black chick talking about fucking mental health. I think Sad Girls Club had been going on for a while, but I didn't know about it. I didn't know how to find it. And even then, it wasn't the type of content that I create where I actually put a face and a personality to a person who has suffered, to a person who has been suicidal. Like, I'm very intentional about showing my personality and my personal style and talking about my achievements, not because, you know, self-promotion. I do it because representation matters. I do it because, you know, and what's interesting is I live in Chicago, right? And I have, since I've come out about my mental issues and started doing these events called mental health turnups and stuff like that, a lot of people have taken the idea that I originated and and the way that I do it and the format I do it and started doing it themselves. And originally, I was salty as fuck because this is my lived experience. Like, I am literally a suicide survivor. Like, this is my lived experience. But then I had to think about it. A, representation matters. So the more people talking about it, the better things are for everybody. So I can't really be salty about it. And B, because it is my lived experience, nobody will ever be able to do it the way that I do. And so I can get a little bit precious about it because of the fact that it's my life's work. It's what gets me out of the bed. For a while, it was the only thing that got me out of bed. And I still don't have, and you have to think about it too, like I still live with PTSD now. I still don't have my baby. I still don't have my mom. I still had to leave the man that I love because he beat me. So, and I still get triggered. I still get triggered by those things. So I'm still living in that experience. And fortunately though, I'm far enough in my recovery where I'm able to talk about it and advocate without having to relive it or without having to uh, feel fear or be limited by it. So like representation is important and I'm glad that we talk about it and we're open about it despite the fact that it might, you know, piss people off. The number of people who say depression is a choice astounds me because it's like, damn, you really that stupid in 2019? How? The internet is real. You know what I'm saying? That's dumb as shit. That's like saying there's no such thing as hormones in your body. There are no chemicals. There's no gut microbiome. You have no neurons in your stomach. Your brain, you know, like your brain function doesn't actually change physiologically. Like, so basically it's like we just saying fuck science, right? Fuck those scientists. Fuck your hormones. You know what I'm saying? Like I can literally, there's this chart I keep in my phone. And the chart 
talks about uh, all of the chemicals, all of the hormones that make up different emotions. Because we are, we're, we're, our bodies are like machines made out of meat. In order for you to feel anger, like there's actually, like in order for you to feel anxiety, that's adrenaline. You cannot have anxiety without adrenaline. You deal with the adrenaline, you deal with the anxiety. But we just gonna act like that's not real. We just gonna pretend as if sure. somebody just made up that they're anxious. That's the stupid, what, that's the stupidest shit. Who the fuck just gonna make up that they don't feel okay? It's, it's real okay. wild and I get it all the time. I hear it all the time and I'm so glad that I am in a mental capacity, that I have the mental capacity to elegantly cuss those people out on behalf of the people mm -hmm. that aren't mentally there to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get a lot of that um, myself. One thing, uh, if I can just pivot and go back a, a little bit, is um, you talked about getting resources out of the hospital. And this is something that I think nobody talks about. I didn't really know about until I was in the hospital and realized you can get, because like you, when I had a mental, when I had my mental episode that shifted my life, I had no money. You know, I had for some freelance jobs. And when you're in a big city and you get sick, that mo any money that you have as a somewhat young person saved up, it's not a lot of money. It's mm -hmm. like a few months of money. Like if you're lucky. Right. right? Like even if you're doing pretty good, it's, you don't have a lot of time. So um, I, I want to uh, just talk about how you get resources when you're poor. Um, and one thing you said is you went to the hospital and then they kind of connected you with social services to be able to go to therapy yep. um, twice a week. Can you just talk about that system? Because I, I hear all the time people saying, you know, I'm too poor, or I can't access anything, so I'm not even going to try and you shouldn't even tell anybody to go to therapy because it's impossible, which obviously I get the frustration. Yeah. But I would love to hear your take so what happened was like i was able to get it because it was state funded and i when you admit right, your medicaid yeah and so i had to but once you start making money you can't have it anymore which is fine because then you can just you know pay for it yourself but what happens is you go in and they they can't if you need treatment but you don't have insurance but you qualify for it then they'll give it to you and or if not, I think it might determine what hospital they send you to. But um, I was able to get it because I put myself it was just like a late. Like I talked to a social worker about it and she told me she asked me some questions and told me I qualified for it. And so I was able to sign up right there. And so the other thing people can do if they're concerned about where resources might be available to them or how they can get help, they can call NAMI. Like, I'm a NAMI ambassador now. As of a couple of weeks ago, I became a NAMI ambassador. And I'm so fucking proud. Because when I first started... Thank you! When I first started having issues, my ass called NAMI. Because I couldn't tell nobody else. The National Association mm -hmm. of Mental Illness. And they'll tell you, like, what resources might be available to you. They'll tell you if there's group therapy in your area. Uh, they'll tell you what sites you might need to go to to sign up for things. Like they'll, they really actually legit help. And so if you're concerned about where resources you might have, another thing people can do is they can call 311 and they can ask like, hey, I have 
mental issues, I was wondering if there are any services available in my area and you give them your zip code and then they might. And I recently had somebody reach out to me who's in crisis and I collect, I connected her with somebody who does community organizing and, um, was, and was able to connect her with some resources based upon the area that she lives in. So that stuff is available. You just have to kind of look it out. And the problem when you're really depressed and really not okay is that it's hard to want to do that or even to think to do it while you're in that state. And so that's why it might be a good idea to call NAMI because then you get somebody that can help you, that kind of talk you through through things and maybe help get you in the right mind state. And it's very And even if you can't do it, reach out to one of your friends and ask them to help you do it. And a lot of times your friends will just be glad that you had an idea for something that can possibly help you. They'll be so happy that you're making strides or that they're able to help, that they'll make those calls for you. They'll help you figure it out. Like community re resources isn't just, you know, programs to help you. Your friends are your community resource as well. And they, they can advocate for you and be there for you. And, you know, my best friend was so big and so incremental in my recovery and she was a constant source of motivation and I'm really glad I had her um if if the people in my I mean shit if I hadn't got sent to the hospital that day I never would have even known I could qualify for state insurance sure. you know what I'm saying and don't get me wrong like they will take your ass off of it as soon as you start making money but <laughs> by then you know you should be able to have some kind of insurance on your own yeah, and hopefully you can recover so you can uh, make your own money. Um, but a couple of notes. So every program is going to be different based on where you are. So one idea for folks at home, if you can get to a group therapy of other patients kind of in your patient group, people know. nobody. People who, who taught me how my local system worked were other patients who were going through something similar. Yeah. That was night and day. Number two... You know, people hear so many horror stories of going people going to the hospital and ending up with like hundred thousand dollar bills. Um, every, I think every state has um, uh, charity care programs for nonprofit hospitals. So my first hospitalization was in San Francisco General, and I, when I my first admission, I was so scared I was just going to be bankrupt. Mm. Um, but they're a nonprofit hospital, or they were at the time or, or just the programs worked in a way that I owed no money and it's absolutely possible to go to the hospital especially if you're not working and not owe money um, it's one reason that it's just so important if you're feeling a little bit wonky and you think it might be getting worse it's just so important to get that therapist to get that therapy contact because that person is not just your therapist they're also if you're a person with serious mental illness or serious struggles, they're a person who can help kind of broker you into the hospital and find a program that's appropriate for you, which is so crucial. Um, for at least it, it was for me. Like, so when I w I've been in the hospital five times, but I was lucky enough after the first time to have a therapist where I was like, you know, I'd, I would call my therapist. I'd say, I'm in bad shape. I think I go to the hospital. Otherwise, I'm not sure, I'm, you know, uh, I don't think I can keep from hurting myself. And that person gets on the phone and starts calling all the hospitals. They find where you should go. They make sure, you know, the uh, the money stuff is going to work. And then you just walk in instead of it being, you know, a big dramatic thing. So if you can do that, it's one reason to just get the help before you're in crisis. Because it, it, once you get there, it, will, it can make it 
remarkably smoother. Um, which when you're having a mental health crisis, I have been in emergency rooms in, you know, Bellevue in Manhattan with, you know, having an anxiety panic attack where I couldn't breathe in a hallway of a man bleeding to death. I don't recommend that way of going to the hospital. No. You can do it that way, but (laughs) (laughs) it's so worth finding a way to do it, um, doing it uh, another way. Um, Great. So to pivot again, just a couple more questions. But one thing that I really like about, you know, your social media and, um, you know, your unique presence is that, you know, uh, emotional health and relationship health is so much a part of your care plan that you just kind of talk about. You, you talk about boundaries. You talk about healthy relationships. You talk about, you know, managing relationships in a whole other way than before you got sick. Could you talk a little bit about how you do relationships now versus how you did them before and how that's helped your recovery? Well, what's interesting about living with PTSD is that um, it, in order for you to be able to control it, people have to know that you have it. And the reason I say that is because I need people to understand because what I have found is that telling people that you have been traumatized will not stop them from doing things that are traumatic to you. Like you would think if you say, hey, I've been through some things and these are my triggers, please don't do them. You would think that people would just not do the things that trigger you, right? But no, hell no. People will still be people and people ain't shit a lot of the times and you know, we're all human. But what I do though is I, first of all, I disclose very early on, I disclose my mental illness. It's not something that I'm ashamed of. It's not something that, you know, and, and people also need to know because if it doesn't work for them, then they need to be the fuck out of my life. Like if you can't be conscientious of how I need to live and what's, uh, and, and my needs for communication and my needs for certainty and clarity around certain things, if that doesn't work for you, completely understood this isn't it. You know what I'm saying? And that's friendships or, pers- you know, intimate relationships. And then the other thing is um, I, I tell people what behavior works for me and what behavior doesn't work for me. And when that behavior shows up, like when I first, you know, got back into dating after being in a relationship that was terrible, initially I blamed myself when I ended up attracting another person with anger issues. I blamed myself when I ended up attracting another person who didn't do what they said. Because, you know, I was coming from an abusive relationship and very often if you don't deal with the issues that 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 you that you have, like if you don't deal with them, you're gonna repeat them. But now that shit don't happen no more. Because I understand, I understood the root of what was causing that for me. And so now I'm just extremely honest. I tell people up front what works for me and what doesn't. And I love myself enough to follow through. When something doesn't work for me, I let it go. And that's something even people who are neurotypical should be doing for their mental wellness, for their mental hygiene. And we actually live in a culture where toxic behaviors and, and really inappropriate, unhealthy behaviors are not only tolerated, but encouraged to be savage is a big deal. To be cold and aloof is a big deal. Ghosting somebody is a big deal. Cutting people off is a big deal. And and they make you look so great and so important. I ain't tolerate none of that shit. If this is how you navigate life, you ain't it. And um, through talking about that, like I've actually, 
I've, I've had some really positive, for the most part, when it comes to that type of feedback, I've had a very positive feedback. Like I did this video that was one of my more popular videos talking about how the silent treatment is emotional abuse. And people hit me up like, yo, I always thought it was, but I didn't know. And it wasn't just people who have been on the receiving end of it. It was also people who had done it and didn't realize that what they were doing was abusive. And we're not talking about, the, you know, ghosting somebody or the silent treatment to cut off somebody who has harmed you or who is dangerous. We're talking about as a form of punishment or as a form of regaining control in a relationship over someone else. And that was one of the first things that made me realize I can have an impact and I can make a difference because there are people that told me, like your video about how the silent treatment is emotional abuse really changed things for me. And this is information that we need to know. We can't be walking around navigating. If we really do want to make a more well society, right? If we really do care about wellness, we have to change our behaviors. And part of the reason that was big for me is because I used to, like, back in the day, I was the patron saint of ghosting niggas. I would be like, well, cut that nigga off. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But when I realized that it was abuse, I no longer do that. Now I explain very clearly, hey, the behavior that you're doing doesn't work for me. And because it doesn't work for me, I'm going to transition out of this space. I inform people so that they are, you know, I, I try to be very cognizant of how I impact people emotionally. And uh, by just by talking about it, and like you said, us talking about our experiences can be very impactful because just by talking about it, I've reached people and, and uh, was able to help people impact their own relationships in a positive way. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Um, tell us about uh, tell us about this new your new play, Get Out Alive. It's my baby. I'm actually about to rehearse with my line coach soon. I have to learn a 90 minute play. It's a 90 minute one woman musical, but there's a cast of four. The one woman part is just me because I'm singing all of the songs. Um, first of all, it has made me a better singer than I have ever been in my entire life because theater kicks your ass. I always thought. They were me being an indie artist and having to rock out on stage. I always thought my job was way harder than like an actor on stage because like I have to improvise and I don't have a script. But shit, now that I do theater, man, it's like I have so much respect for people that have had a career of theater because it is not easy. I have had to go home and ice my knees from dance routines. I have had to you know, like not speak and have vocal rest for an entire day to recover because I have to do the exact same 90 minute play of full sing singing full voice again tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Like it is demanding, but I love it. And my play is about mm. my mental health recovery, but it's a musical about, it's a musical about me surviving suicide <laughs> and depression. Mm. It's kind of like humorous. It's, it like there are some moments that are heavy, but it's actually like there's a lot of levity, and um, it's the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Wow, wow! I wish uh, I wish I was in Chicago to check it out. Well, eventually, I think uh, my so what's funny is I wrote the play because remember the guy I mentioned, my Jewish dad, Iran Tellers. He told mm -hmm. me like when I when he started seeing that I was recovering and getting better. He was like, you should write about your experience. Like, just make a play out of it. Maybe I might be able to help you. It wasn't like a guarantee because I was the kind of person that he don't like some shit, he don't like some shit, ain't going to help you. It just is what it is. And so I had never written a play. 
And he had told me, like, if I write a little bit every day, then I should have it done within the next few months, right? Like, the next couple of weeks. It took me six months to get the first draft of the play together. And it was because I had this concept that I had never seen, but I wanted to test it out before I went forward with it. And so I, it just so happened that I got invited to open for Pussy Riot because Nadia is the shit. Yeah, I fucking love Pussy Riot. And it was my first time doing like a major show um, after having mental health issues. And so the format of my play, I workshopped it at the Pussy Riot concert. Like that was how... I tested it out. I tested it out on stage at a punk concert and it went over really well. And so after Ira saw, he was like, yeah, okay, finish writing it. This is dope. And, you know, the first person he presented my play to, they were a little interested, but they were lukewarm. And then the second person ended up getting my play picked up by American Music Theater Project. And he's now a producer of my play moving forward. Uh, one of the producers wow. while it goes into Steppenwolf. So yeah, like... Life is so crazy, man. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, well, maybe we'll see you on tour or you do uh, an out-of-town in uh I'm thinking. In sometime. Yeah, like, I'm th <laughs> like we're thinking it's going to travel. And, like, dude, like, I was really? told. I was told by a Broadway producer that it has, it has mm. momentum. Like, it has the ability to be something pretty big. And I, he kind of has been, like, really? consulting me and everything it's kind of a big deal i don't talk about it as All much right yeah i should talk about it more but i'm like i don't want to jinx this shit <laughs> <laughs> i understand my first uh, job in new york city was working at broadway.com and uh, that was kind of like i just lived behind the scenes of broadway for several years i loved it i love that world that is um, so cool I didn't you know, know about Broadway.com until I had a play that was being promoted on there. We cast the dancers. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, we cast the new dancers for my play next week. And so, like, those type of sites, like, they post, like, your casting information and, like, you know, or they, like, promote that your play is coming up. I didn't know about it because I wasn't into theater so much. I'm, like, I'm half punk, half hip-hop. So, like, that was my world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not really a lot of folk like me in a theater space. Well, no, there are more and more people like me now, like, it's theater is expanding mm -hmm. so that's beautiful but sure you know like it, it i didn't honestly you know how it is it ain't easy for people like me to get access in those spaces mm -hmm. it's hard for anybody to get access to those spaces so let alone dealing with whatever you know yeah set you know not setbacks but just the marginalizations yeah, yeah when people it's a hard hear, game yeah when people hear like a, a play life. about depression they're like, oh, shit. You know what I'm saying? Like a play about depression. But then mm -hmm. they see it and it's like, oh, man, like it's not just about depression. It's about recovery. And that is a story that is as fresh as fresh can be. Uh, I just thank you and commend you for doing that work because we need it. It inspires me. I know what's touching and reach out here. A lot of people is psyched. My therapy <laughs> cat is psyched um, for some empowering stories and perhaps for some dinner. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't do the negative like I'm I'm, I'm not going to commiserate. Mm -hmm. I did that, man. I did it like like we can vent our frustration. But I, I strongly believe that the words that you speak are threading are weaving the fabric of your reality. And so I'm not going to be 
speaking to my depression all the damn time. And that doesn't mean that when I have days where it's harder than others or when I don't have depressive episodes, it doesn't mean I don't talk about it. I absolutely talk about it. But I talk about it because I want people to see this shit ain't just, I'm going to bounce back from it. Like, yes, I have a mental illness. It's an illness. It's in my body. It's chemical. I'm working on it. I might not have it forever. I'm working on it. I believe I won't have it forever. I'm working on it. But in the meantime, while I'm working on it, I'm going to be happy. And my life is not going to be a constant series of conversations about how unwell I am. It's not going to be a constant series of conversations about the limitations that shows up for me or the people that have left my life because of it, the people I love that I've lost and the traumas that I keep reliving and how hard it feels to be triggered all the damn time. And every time I look at a baby, I don't know if I'm going to be triggered by it or if I'm going to just be able to appreciate that it's cute and be able to hold it. That cannot be the narrative of my life if I'm trying to stay alive. What did I go to therapy for? What did I put myself in the fucking hospital for? What did I take meds for? So that I could be here and, and commiserate and talk about the negative side of my depression all the time? No. I am not sad. I I got out alive. That's what my play is called, Get Out Alive. And so... And that's my movement. I have a little social media account. It's just called I Get Out Alive. And I post stuff pertaining to mental health, but it's uplifting too. And I don't post, I don't manage it often because I'm extremely busy, but I got to get back to it. But, you know, like I, I, this has been, I'm really glad you invited me to do this today because, you know, I didn't know how I was showing up and I actually respect what you do a whole lot. And I didn't know that you even paid attention to all that I was doing. So it's really dope that somebody like you would even reach out to me. And I appreciate you. And this has been very fun because I, it, it's very reaffirming to know that somebody like you would appreciate what I'm doing. So thank you. Hey, it's, it goes both ways. I mean, the fact, I mean, cause I see it in you and the fact that you recognize it in what I'm doing, you know, that makes me realize I'm on the right track here. And, uh, <sighs> You know, every patient that I talk to that goes from the depths of hell that we've been through to thriving, it's all more similar than it is different. But that word, yeah, that word hasn't gotten out yet, you know, and it's just it's just starting. So um, I really think a lot of us are doing the right are on the right track. I think there's this new movement that is bubbling of patient empowerment. I think the conversation is going to yeah. change. I mean, we've talked a lot about smashing stigma. We've talked a lot about keep talking mental health. Um, and that's great. But now it's time to transcend that um, alone. Not that it's not appropriate to vent. Yeah. Not that it's not appropriate to mourn. Not that it's not appropriate to be frustrated sometimes. But it can't end there. And, um, yeah. you know, this the work that you're doing is helping us in a big way um, get get out of this rut that we can find ourselves in so um thank you and let us know where where can we find you where can we find the play where 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 do do folks need to go um so people in you know if you can make it to steppenwolf january 30th through february 2nd in chicago uh my play will be there and uh it's part of the lookout series so i'm just going to be in a small cabaret theater it's a short run but it's my first theater debut so it's a big deal and if you want to if you're outside of chicago and you just want to keep up with the progress of my play and know when it's traveling then you can do that by visiting my site nikkilinette.com and on all social media i'm just nikkilinette n i k k i l y n e t t e 
Um, reach out to me whenever. I'm always accessible. I'm not funny acting except for people who talk shit. <laughs> Wise words to end with. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience and your story um, on Mental Radio. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you too, man. to Mental Radio today. If you liked what you heard, please consider supporting us over at mentalhealthmedia.org. We've got funding for the next few months, but there's so much more we want to bring to you, and we can only do that with listener support. So if you like these conversations and you want Mental Health Media to be able to grow into something that is sustainable so that there is a platform for patients to be talking to each other and having empowering conversations about what works for them, uh, a place, a platform where patients can talk to researchers and clinicians about how self-care and holistic health and, and lifestyle and all of those things really can reclaim our power as patients to have a say in how our life goes, please consider supporting us. This conversation, this podcast is brought to you by our executive producer, A.V. Flocks, and also Tom Trottier, Tamara Broadhead, and Patrick Mohan. Special thanks to everyone who has supported our GoFundMe, um, including Ivan M., Phil A., Patrick M., Lauren B., Colin F., Marilyn S., Alex B., The Smo, Cass G., and Sean D, Jim E, Stuart M, David L, Tasha J, Tasha J, Judy B, Stephen J, Malik S, Nelson P, Stacy H, Patrick L, Stephanie P, Aaron V, Tim W, Handy H, Jean A, Rose P, Irving A, Bob S, Jackie M, thank you, Tyler C, thank you. Sophia M, thank you. Johnny P, thank you. Chip and Nads and Franklin G, I truly appreciate you for supporting our work and contributing to the GoFundMe. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can get a tax deduction. Tax time, it's almost up on tax time. Only six more weeks till the end of the year. So if you have, uh, if you have the disposable income to help uh, a multi-media, non-profit kind of startup project, um, please do that if you like what we're doing. Um, with that said, thanks so much to Nikki Lynette. I love Nikki Lynette. I, I just kind of want to do a podcast just with Nikki Lynette. Is that possible, you guys? Was, would, would everybody um, just listen to that out there? Me and Nikki, what do you think? I'm sure she's busy. I know she's busy. She's making uh, a new show that I hope comes to Seattle. I've never been to Chicago. Maybe I need to go to Chicago. Check out Nikki's show. Um, but yeah, thanks to Nikki Lynette and thanks to everyone who's out there making empowering work around mental health. You know, we are not just our worst days. So often we post about our worst days and then we kind of live our life with the ripples of those worst, worst days. And like Nikki says, we don't do all of this work to be living those worst days over and over and over and over. 
we put in the work, we put in the sacrifice, we put in all of this time to self-care, self-management and self-love so that we can have, I don't know, so we can feel good all the time, so we can have healthy relationships, so we can work on projects like Nikki's show, like this project, like Mary Angela Abeo's Faces of Fortitude, like 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 uh like like Nick Cavalier's films like every patient that we're talking to is doing these amazing things and we've all been on the brink of suicide why don't we hear these stories more why even on social media people that have been through it like we're we're, we're all kind of shamed for going through it and coming out the other side and that conversation has got to shift and we are shifting it Everyone that I've had on this podcast, all of my fellow patients, they see this struggle from a different lens than what we are used to. And this is a new movement of mental health. And that new movement says it's possible to get better. It's possible to direct your own recovery. And it's not saying that there isn't time for mourning, that there isn't time for suffering, that there isn't time for feeling stuck. There's time for all of that. But those are things to move through and you know what maybe maybe on the other side you don't come out a hundred percent of where you were right maybe you do maybe you don't but regardless the journey in recovering as much as we can and managing however we can you know we're not going to have the same life that we left before we had you know these encounters where we had these disruptions for some of us, that makes us better people, makes us stronger people. I can already hear the people on Twitter saying, well, it's a sick thing to say. It's a mean thing to say. So much, so many of us have lost so much. The problem is when you just concentrate on that, we don't concentrate on, on all of the things that we can do to help ourselves feel better about ourselves. We totally miss out on the conversations about how to improve our relationships with our friends, our families, our lovers. We miss out on so much of what this journey is about and mental health media and so many of the other projects featured on this podcast. We're just, we're shifting the attention. We're doing something different. And for the sickest person out there, who has tried every single thing that we talk about, you know what, if, however, if having an empowering conversation alleviates 10, 20% of your suffering, isn't it worth it to get there? Isn't just the journey of fighting to have some percentage of recovery and thriving, isn't it worth it regardless of what it is? And I really think a lot of the people who have given up in this struggle, I think a lot more of us can do, if we just gave ourselves enough credit and we shifted the conversation, I think a lot of us have a lot more to gain than we think we do. Those are my thoughts of the day. I love all you guys. I love all my fellow patients. Um, I really just admire and respect so much all of us who have broken the mold of mental illness and are creating this new world, this new landscape. Thanks again to Nikki Lynette. Whatever you're going through this week, feel free to give me a shout. 
I'm over at Zookman at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N. There's Basher the Cat, Basher the Therapy Cat. If you like cat videos, cat photos, you want to follow me over at Zookman um, because that's where uh, that's where I hang out all week. I post science. I post, retweet my patients. We talk emotional health. We talk about relationship health. We talk about all of the things that are just in this journey, all of this messy, messy journey. So follow me over there. Take care of yourselves this week. Check in with each other. Do whatever you need to do to just make space for where you're at. There's no wrong place to be. And we all start somewhere. The thing to remember is that there's a place to go. And it's awesome. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. Jesse Zookman, signing off. Zygazunt. She wakes from sleep deep, from ambient treats down for hot, wet drops from Colombian beans. Yeah, she drives goodbye with her kid back seat, moving fuel chewed from the desert heat. Sit alone with my fragile bones Got my Crackberry malls and my Twitter drones Bleeding eyes